So uh, in our sermon series, The Upside Down Kingdom, we just got done looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are Jesus' opening statements to his famous Sermon on the Mount that has influenced so many, so many things, even in our world, in people's lives. And of course, there have, there's been so much written about this particular sermon. And in, this, in these opening lines, the Beatitudes, Jesus is explaining who the blessed ones are in his kingdom. And we've learned that those who get to be a part of God's kingdom are those who are poor in spirit. That they acknowledge that they are deeply sinful and they're deeply flawed and they mourn over it. And they go to God for his comfort, his mercy, his grace. And it's those who are poor in spirit that receive God's comfort in his kingdom. They also receive the inheritance of ruling over the earth when Jesus returns and makes it new. We also learned from the Beatitudes that in God's kingdom, he transforms people into, in, into individuals who thirst and hunger for godly living. And they're filled. In God's kingdom, he transforms individuals into people that extend mercy to others. And they find in the kingdom that God's mercy is new for them each morning. In God's kingdom, he transforms people into individuals that are honest in their relationships. Honest in all their dealings with others. And have an undivided allegiance to God. Remember that the pure in hearts, that's what it means to be pure in hearts. In God's kingdom, people are transformed into peacemakers. They do the hard work of working for reconciliation where there's conflict, where there is strife. Now, last week we learned that if you are in God's kingdom and you are living out these values, persecution is going to come your way. You're going to experience some level of persecution at some point in your life. That you will have a target on your back that the world loves to aim at. Most people who are, well, many people who are lost in darkness, they're either going to feel judged by the light, love, and peace and joy that you have, or they'll feel envious, and so they'll want to harass you, they'll want to exclude you, they'll want to make fun of you. But even as God's kingdom people are persecuted and harassed, they too will be blessed. They'll experience blessing in this, for they will know King Jesus in a even more intimate way because they will suffer the way that in, in similar ways that Jesus suffered and so they'll know him better and know what he went through for them they will experience eternal rewards so they'll, they'll earn eternal rewards that will come to them and they will also see God's power work in their life in a, in a mighty way and so there's one other thing, though, and we're going to talk about it this morning. So if you're living out the Beatitudes, if you're one of God's kingdom people, you're going to attract persecution. 
But you're going to attract something else. You're going to do more than attract opposition. And so it's going to, let's talk about it. Let's pray, and we're going to talk about what else you will attract. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your mercies are new each morning. We thank you that you are with us now and that you have promised to give us wisdom when we ask for it. We are in such need of your supernatural wisdom. For your ways are higher than our ways. You see. You see everything all at once, and we see in part. Lord, thank you that in your kingdom we experience blessing. Thank you in your kingdom we experience transformation. Lord, I pray that as we look at what else our lives will attract if we live out your values empowered by your supernatural power, that you would help us to appreciate what we will attract, to hunger for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's check out Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? And it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, you would think that Jesus, after just getting done saying, like, look, this is what my kingdom values are all about. And living out those values is going to attract persecution. You would think that Jesus would tell his disciples and everybody else who was listening. So here's what you need to do. Run for the hills, right? Move to Montana. Get off the grid. Go into a cave. That way you can avoid persecution, right? But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you're the salt of the earth and light of the world. He says, look, you need to be in the world for the sake of of the world, okay? Now, because here's the thing. If you live out the upside-down ways of God's kingdom, you're not only going to attract opposition, you are going to attract people to God. Now, why does Jesus use salt and light as metaphors to describe the impact his followers are going to have on the world around them? Well, Jesus, I think he does this for several reasons, but one reason is that Jesus was very masterful in using very concrete things that people were f familiar with to explain the often untangible ways of the kingdom and the untangible aspects of life with God. And the metaphor of salt in light is a perfect example of his mastery in using figurative language for these purposes. 
You know, in Jesus' day, every home contained salt and light. Every home. And so the people that were listening could connect and identify with salt and light. But there are some other reasons why I think he used these two metaphors. Let's, let's look at them. So let's look at, you are the salt of the earth. Well, what function did salt serve in Jesus' day? Well, it, had, it, it really served two main purposes. And there's a third I'm going to mention. It was both a preservative and it was a season. It seasoned food. So it preserved meat because salt, what, there was no refrigeration in Jesus' day. And so in order to preserve meat so that it wouldn't spoil rapidly, they, people would smother salt on the meat. And that salt would kill the microbes in the fungi that would cause that meat to spoil quickly. So it was this preservative. Nobody likes when food spoils, right? Just this past week, Mary made a delicious pot of chili. And I cleaned up that after dinner, and I left that pot of chili on the stove. I wanted it to cool down before I put it in the fridge, right? Of course, guess what happened? Next morning, I wake up. And uh, probably half the pot of chili still on the stove spoiled. And so isn't that frustrating? You think of the time and the money that you spent on that, that pot of chili, and a lot of it's going to waste. And then you got to figure out what dinner plans are for that night because you were planning on having leftovers. We just bought a quarter of a cow, and as I was putting it in my chest freezer, I said to myself, it would be horrible if this old chest freezer decided to just go bad, right? Hundreds of dollars of meats, right, would be be spoiled. So salt in Jesus' day was a preservative. Maybe I should get that quarter of a cow out, unwrap it all, and smother salt all over it, just in case. Salt was also used to season food, just like in our day. Salt makes food taste better. Can I get an amen? Who doesn't? I mean, most people like salt on their food. Some people don't, but most do. It gives it a zing. It gives it an extra flavor. It enhances the, the original food's flavor, I believe. And you know what else salt does? And this is the third thing I want to mention about salt. It provokes thirst. When you eat something that has some salt on it, you want something to drink, right? It not only provokes thirst, but it provokes a desire for sweetness as well, right? Like, give me, I, give me something sweet. So it provokes thirst. It preserves the seasons. We'll get back to that. Jesus then, he uses this other metaphor that you are the light of the world, Now, let's think about this metaphor. What's the purpose of light in a home? Well, it reveals the truth about things, doesn't it? It helps you to see how things truly are inside of your home. That's what light does. It helps you to not stub your toe, which is one of the worst things to have happen to you. (laughs) Not really, but in the moment you think that when it's happening. It helps you... 
to not have to guess where things are at. You can find them because you can see them. Look, light reveals the truth about things. You know what else light does? Life, or light gives life. Think about it. The, the sunlight allows us to live, right? Without the sun, there would be no life. Light also brings joy, doesn't it? Think about the beautiful sunsets. Think about the, the beautiful sunrises. Think about, you know, the sun glimmering off of newly fallen snow on branches. It's just spectacular. It's beautiful. Life brings joy. You know, many, many people this time of the year struggle with sadness. Why? The concrete skies, right? Light brings joy. Do you know that Cleveland is one of the fourth, it's the fourth dreariest city in the United States? Finally, we can say we're better than Pittsburgh at something because (laughs) Pittsburgh is number three on the list, I think. So at last, we're, yeah. Next year is our year. Go Browns. Look, light reveals truth. It gives life. It brings joy. Now we're in a position to see what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Look, check this out. God's kingdom people are the preserving, preserving, seasoning, thirst-creating, truth-revealing, life-giving, joy-bringing agents of the world. Can I get an amen? This is the impact that we are to have all over the globe. We are to infiltrate every nook and cranny of our culture, our society, to preserve, season, create thirst, reveal truth, give life, bring joy. The question becomes, how can God's people be salt and light? This is how. Jesus tells us through performing good works. Through our good works. What are the good works that Jesus is talking about? Well, I think it makes sense to look right again at the Beatitudes. Right? When people hurt us and we forgive them, We're performing a good work that enables people to taste the salt and see the light of God's kingdom. When we extend mercy to someone in need, we see the need, we meet the need, compassion in action. When we're those kind of people, people are able to taste the salt of the gospel. They are able to see the light of the gospel of the kingdom. When we act as peacemakers where there is division... People are able to taste the salt and see the light of the kingdom. When we're honest in all our dealings with people, they're able to taste the salt and see the light. And then we can look to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Because the rest of the Sermon on the Mount really just expounds upon Jesus' Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are almost like the Ten Commandments. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is just more teaching on that core 
message right at the beginning of the sermon. Look, when we love our enemies, people are going to taste the salt and they're going to see the lay of the gospel. When we're not shackled by worry, but rather we exhibit a calm and a peace, even in extremely difficult situations, people are going to be able to taste the salt and see the light. When we recognize our own mistakes and are really quick to point those out before we ever go and try and get that speck out of somebody else's eye, people are going to taste the salt and they're going to see the light. And then we can go to the rest of the Bible to consider what are these good works that we are to be doing. Look, when we run businesses with integrity and godly ethics, people are going to see the light. They're going to taste the salt. When we create music and art that honors God, people are going to taste the salt, see the light. When we teach others astrology or psychology or biology or chemistry, all with the motivation that they're able to better understand the wonderful creator behind all these disciplines of study. People are going to see the light and they're going to taste the salt. When we run government institutions to promote the welfare of the citizens, they're going to taste the salt and see the light. When we are strong and we're compassionate and we're courageous followers of Christ in all spheres of our society, people are going to taste the salt and they're going to see the light. Look, good works motivated by the desire for people to see God's glory will preserve aspects of our society that need to be preserved, will season aspects of our world that need to be made better, will reveal the truth about who God is, what it means to relate to him, what it means to be a human, what it means to relate to other people, the truth about all that. It will bring life and joy to many, and it will create a thirst in people to know God and seek him. And what will the results of these preserving, seasoning, thirst-creating, life-giving, joy-bringing good works be? What will the result be? Jesus tells us, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Look, our life of good works will create such a hunger, such a thirst in people that they will want to know God, that they will seek God, and they will find him, and then they will join in with the kingdom work of being salt and light to a lost world. You see, our good works are evangelistic. They're evangelistic. They demonstrate in tangible ways that what we declare is the real deal. Tangible, our good works are tangible proof that the kingdom of God is at hand. That the kingdom of the heavens has been opened. That God's power is now available to preserve, to season, to radically transform 
that's why. And so repent and believe the good news, right? And that is why Jesus' preaching always was accompanied by good works. John the Baptist, right, sends his posse to Jesus, wants to know, like, look, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Because I'm starting to question that. I'm doubting. What does Jesus say? He says, he doesn't say, did you hear my preaching? Did you hear my teaching? No. He's like, do you see the works I'm doing? You see the good works I'm doing? Yeah, I'm the Messiah. Now, and check this out. One author has said this, and this is good. We are to be light. That is, we are to light the path to God by daily lighting up the thousand candles of our good works. Certainly, people must know the content of the gospel in order to believe the gospel. But most people are not attracted to the gospel by hearing it but so often by seeing the good deeds that spring from it. If you're a Christian, think about your conversion. And chances are, yeah, that yes, you had to hear the content, the message of the gospel. That was instrumental in your conversion, right? But I almost guarantee in every single one of your conversions, there was a person that so embodied the values of the kingdom that you said, I want that. This is real. That message must be real. Because look at their life. Uh, I have a friend that I was talking to, I don't know, about a month ago. And her story is a really neat story. And her story is, a, of, is one of this very exact thing. So she had a coworker that would talk about her Christian faith, right? She was open and honest about it, real about it. But it was this lady's lifestyle that attracted my friend to Jesus. It was this lady's lifestyle. As my friend watched this lady handle difficulty, as my friend watched this lady you know, navigate different choices and decisions and how she carried herself at work and did her job that created such a thirst in my friend that she was like, I need to know this Jesus that this woman knows. Now, I want to warn you about two things because Jesus warns us about these two equal but opposite errors when it comes to being salt and light. And if we engage and succumb to these errors, if we engage in them, we are going to lose our impact in the world for Jesus. Here's the first, first one. Withdrawal. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, look, light can't erase darkness if the light does not come in contact with the darkness. A light that is hidden, 
under a basket isn't useful. And although Jesus doesn't say this, the same thing is true of salt. Look, salt can't preserve and season food that it does not come in contact with. There has to be contact. There has to be engagements. Many Christians don't have a preserving, a seasoning, a thirst-provoking, truth-revealing, life-giving, joy-bringing effect on the world because they have withdrawn from the world. We've talked about this, right, in recent weeks. They withdraw into their Christian bubble where they're shining lights to the other Christians, be a Christian. And that's important, but that's not the full story of what it means to be a Christian. Their light shines in these safe, comfortable Christian environments. But there's an equal and opposite air to withdrawing from society and culture that Jesus mentions. And it's one of assimilation. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. It is possible for salt to become diluted. Think about it. If you make a big (laughs) pot of chili and, you know, I've never made chili. I am guessing there's salt involved. I think, I hope. Uh... So you make a pot of chili, you season it with just the right salt, right? And then somebody comes along with 10 gallons of water and pours it on your chili. The salt is going to lose its effectiveness. It's going to be so diluted, so mixed with other stuff that you're no longer going to be able to perceive it, taste it, know it's even there. You see, a Christian can be so in the world Instead of influencing it for God, they're actually the one being influenced. Their Christian witness becomes so diluted, so mixed with the impurities of the world that they no longer have any positive effect on the world around them. Deluded Christians spend their money just like the rest of America. They abuse substances just like the rest of America. They joke just like the rest of Americans. They work like the rest of Americans. They treat their spouse just like the rest of Americans. They handle conflict just like the rest of Americans. Worship the American gods of self and pleasure and entertainment and wealth and recognition and achievement and sport just like the rest of Americans. We can't engage and succumb to these errors. We will lose our impact on the world. I believe this is why many Christians have lost their impact. Here's another thing. If you are a Christian, through repentance and faith in Christ, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You are. Not someday you will be. You are right now sitting in these seats, the salt of the earth in the light of the world. Some of you just need to wake up to it. That's your identity. That's who you are. Deep in your core, that's who you are. You need to wake up to it. 
Stop hiding your light under a basket. Engage the channels of our culture for God's glory. Stop sitting on the sidelines critiquing those who are in the game. Get in the game. The man in the arena, it's good. Is that Teddy Roosevelt? Read it. It's good stuff. You need to march to the front lines of the battle between the kingdom of, the, of God and the kingdom of the world. You need to engage the darkness with the light of Christ. You need to stop bowing down to the God of comfort and to the God of fear. That's what's keeping you back from doing it. I almost guarantee it. Others of you need to stop assimilating to the culture around you. You need to quit living a diluted Christian life that will attract no one to Jesus. You need to stop sleeping around. You need to stop living with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You need to stop gossiping. You need to stop manipulating people. You need to stop coming to church on Sunday and then partying like the world on Friday and Saturday. You need to stop being so self-focused, prideful, arrogant. You need to learn how not to sin in your anger. The way you're living is so unattractive to non-Christians. It's so unattractive that it's actually repulsive. They want nothing to do with what you proclaim. Last night, and I'm just about to close here, I was at a an entrance celebration for a lady named Kathy Wolford. Some of you were there. And obviously, I don't think this is coincidence. The verse that her son Matt shared was exactly what I was preaching on this morning. It's what he closed the service with. And what struck me about this woman, Kathy, who a lot of you were blessed to know, she wasn't like... She wasn't extraordinary in the ways that the world, I guess, likes to see the extraordinary. She was just a a regular person that had a family, had a job. But she was so committed to Jesus, so committed to being salt and light in the world, that this ordinary woman God used to have an extraordinary impact. And there were, I don't know, my guess is like 400 people at this service. Just, Just phenomenal. There were, she worked at a hospital. Doctors flew in, I was told by her husband, to be at the service last night. Doctors flew in. Her impact, it was just, I, I talked to her husband, I, you know, I just, this, I was just, it was just, it was God. It was just so amazing. I, it was such a taste of what our experience is going to be on the new heaven and new earth. And I was talking to her husband, and I said, how many people from work, you know, were here? I was guessing like maybe 15, 20. He said there were at least 50 people from her work that came to her service. Salt and light. May we here at Abundant Life be a church of people that doesn't assimilate to the world, nor withdraws from the world. May we be a community of people here that are in the world living out the distinct 
values of the kingdom of God so that people will thirst for God, find him, and then desire to be salt and light themselves. My friend, who I mentioned earlier, who was just drawn to Jesus through a coworker, this very same friend is saying, and she told me last when we talked, I want to be what my friend was to me. I want to live in such a way that I am creating thirst and hunger in other people for the sweetness of Jesus. Let's pray. And after we pray, we're going to take communion. We are going to remember as we take communion that this Jesus didn't assimilate, nor did he withdraw. It's interesting. He said, I am the light of the world. But then he says to us, you are the light of the world. Hmm. Of course, we just are like mirrors reflecting his light. But he is the light of the world. He brings joy. He brings life. He seasons. He preserves that which is good. Praise God for him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, the upside-down ways of your kingdom are so spectacular. We can't make this stuff up. We couldn't think this stuff up. Lord, I pray that we would get so tired of just living a mundane typical American life, that we would be so on fire to see your kingdom, your power engulf broken people, that we would get over ourselves, that we wouldn't bow down to comfort and fear, and that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we would hunger and thirst to be salt and light. Lord, only you can make us into those people. We cannot do it. We cannot transform ourselves into those kind of people. Lord, I pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit upon every single person in this room. May they be thinking, life is but a breath. It is a vapor. What story is being written in my life. What story, God, do you want to write in my life? What do I want people to say at my entrance celebration? It's in Jesus' name we pray.